Hey everybody, Tim here with Boozy Bracketology, and I'll be filling in for Chris for the rest of this bracket, and boy is it a heck of a bracket. We're here for episode two in our search for the best sci-fi or fantasy author. You know, Ursula K. Le Guin said in The Left Hand of Darkness, it is good to have an end to journey toward, but it is the journey that matters in the end, and we are here for that journey. But we can't embark on that journey without meeting our fearless crew, and they are definitely one of, if not the best crew we could have assembled for this. First, we head to Chicago, Illinois, for our dear friend Jay. Jay, how you doing? What you drinking? And tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Good to be here, Tim. Tim, I got to tell you, you have a voice for podcasting. Have you ever considered running one? Uh, I've, I've given it a thought or two. Okay. Um, yeah, pull that thread. You might get something out of it. Uh, I'm in a pretty good mood. Uh, we have a new puppy in the house. Uh, his name is Louie. He is the best dog. Uh, you can send Tim your, uh, opinions to the contrary because I don't want to hear him. Uh, I am on brandedly drinking some Siesta Key spiced rum out of Sarasota, Florida. Let me get that good pop action for you. There you go. Uh, and for those who are not familiar with me, uh, I do a bunch of trivia stuff in a bunch of trivia places. You you probably know who I am. And if you don't, ask Tim. Uh, send him mail. Lots of mail. Postcards. He likes postcards. Absolutely. That's why but you don't put me first, Tim. <laughs> well, we are glad to have you, Jay. Uh, next, it's down to Jacksonville, Florida, where Carmela Smith joins us. Carmela, how are you doing? What you drinking? And tell us a little about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm good. Um, I am drinking uh, something different today. I, I, I'm typically a dark beer person, but today I have, I have a, uh, a Berliner called Florida Slush. Uh, made by Swamphead Brewery out of Gainesville, Florida. So we're going to try this, and we're going to see if it's any good. So, did anybody I, else not think that I did that not hear slush. <laughs> <laughs> you hear what you want to hear. It smells good. Uh, it's a raspberry lemon Berliner. Um, here. I'm just glad I wasn't the only one. Actually, Berliner. that is pretty good. Um, I'm glad I have more of these in the fridge now, because I was afraid. <laughs> Um, and if you don't know me, um, I'm on a few different podcasts. Um, I am one of the hosts of Trivial Warfare. Uh, we are a pub trivia style podcast. And I am also the host of Foreplay, which is a connect the dots kind of puzzle show uh, that comes out every week. And I'm happy to be here. We are happy to have you. Yeah, I was uh, going to but... tell you, Carmela, you have a fantastic voice. Uh, maybe you should consider podcasting, too. <laughs> I, I feel like we all really uh, we really should. Yeah, we um, absolutely should. Third on our list, just a little upstate from me, Jeff Woodhead. How you doing and what you drinking? We don't need to know anything about yourself. We already know you. Yeah, that's uh, totally fine. I'm doing all right. And I figured we were going to be talking a lot about apocalyptic things today. So what more appropriate to have than the end of days barrel rested gin from the end of days uh, distillery down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, real fun distillery. If you're ever down in Wilmington, give them a stop by. I think they just have a whiskey out that uh, I need to actually take a crack at. But as for now, that barrel rusted gin's a hell of a drink. I think I've had it on the podcast before. And uh, y'all. All right. Okay. Fourth in, and I hope I pronounce it right this time, Muscatine, Iowa. It's Brian Nash with us. Brian, same questions to you. Oh, you got it right. 
Oh, uh, times the charm. <laughs> It's tough for us, mus- uh, us North Carolinians who are used to drinking muscadine wine. <laughs> it's tough you for us can... Illinoisans who refuse to acknowledge the existence of Iowa. <laughs> I love you, and, Brian. And it begins. <laughs> I can't. I, no, we're not going there. It's not my fault. Okay. Uh, I am doing well, though. Uh, tonight, I am drinking Captain and Coke, but uh, the Coke has been replaced by a wild cherry diet Pepsi because I got three more days on this diet and I'm calling it quits. <laughs> so there we go. Very nice. Brian, you have a terrible voice. Never do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not potentially paying you to run ad copy for me on other podcasts or anything. <laughs> Tell us a little about yourself. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I live in Muscatine, Iowa. Uh, you've heard me on a few podcasts. Um, you might have heard me on Twitch with hanging out with Jeremy on his uh, LK Jeremy Twitch stream. On Thursday nights, we do geek trivia. Uh, I also do geek trivia Friday nights live at Nerdspeak Brewery in Bettendorf, Iowa, in the Quad Cities. So, if you ever find yourself in that area, give me a shout. I'll come find you. We'll go have some fun. All right. And finally, uh, last. Ryan is also excellent in the movie Whiplash opposite Miles Teller. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, last, but also least, our good friend, Stephen. Stephen, how you doing and what you drinking? Well, I've got to be honest, I'm a little bewixed and bewildered right now. So first, let me go ahead and crack open a Mountain Dew Zero Sugar Cherry to help me get through this. But the good news is my, my dilemma can be helped by this panel. I've got the right people here. So real quick before we begin, here's my situation. Lego has just released its new sets coming out, and there is a beautiful Rivendale set coming out right now. The only problem with it is it's $500. Now, the thing is huge. It's $500, though. So I need your help deciding right now what is more important, that I spend that $500 on a Lego set or I stay married to my wife. Which one should I go for? Well, here's the important question, Stephen. Does this set include uh, minifigs of Archie and Jughead? That took me a second, Jay. <laughs> Did you hurt your shoulder right, reaching one for that one? Whose entire opinions we can cancel for the evening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which I mean, one sparks more joy. Although um, five hundred dollars is cheaper than a divorce, so <laughs> just something to keep in mind. That's true. <laughs> well, here's the thing: I got to make the decision now, or she'll take half the Legos. So. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Wait, so so if you bought the thing and then you got divorced, you'd lose half of the Rivendell Lego set. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Hmm. So I got to yeah, just yeah. for the the Lego. So that's why it's important. Uh, okay, <laughs> nineteen years that uh, this ring has been on my finger. You know the right thing to do. <laughs> By the yeah, Legos, I mean, right, sixteen, <laughs> almost seventeen here, and I own no is, Legos. No, the, the right thing to do is convince your wife to give you the Legos for your birthday. There you this go. This is the correct answer. <laughs> this is the way. You make it her idea. <laughs> All right, we have met the crew. 
I'll be your captain today, and I'm doing something a little bit different. I am actually drinking liquor. Ooh. A boozy bracketology first for me. Uh, I picked up a bottle of Jameson Stout Edition. Uh, so rather than rather than whiskey or you know a stout aged in bourbon barrels, this is a whiskey aged in stout barrels. Uh, so uh, it is it is pretty solid. I don't get a whole lot of the bourbon taste. Or, I mean the stout taste, but it's still enjoyable. Very cool. All right, keep drinking. All right, right, so let's dive in. We are going to start with our play-in round uh, in the foundation region of the bracket. Kim Stanley Robinson versus Walter Miller. We're kicking this off with Jay. All right, and you're sending it to the right person because I have an encyclopedic knowledge of both Kim Stanley Robinson and Walter Miller. Uh, For instance, I can tell you that Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, born March 23rd, 1952, is an American (laughs) writer of science fiction. He has published 22 novels and numerous short stories and is best known for his Mars trilogy. Whereas Walter M. Miller Jr., uh, January 23rd, 1923 to January 9th, 1996, was an American science fiction writer. His fix-up novel, A Canticle for uh, Leibowitz, the only novel published in his lifetime won the 1961 Hugo Award. All that said, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson is from Waukegan. I have no idea who either of them are going in. My boat is going to go to uh, the the Homer, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, for no other reason than let's move on to whoever's going to lose to Isaac in about three minutes. <laughs> All right. So one enthusiastic vote for Kim Stanley Robinson. Um I'm just waiting for the time where, you know, somebody shows up and goes, I let chat GPT make all my picks. Uh, <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on. I didn't realize that was on the table. No. For the love of all that is holy. I've got the window Whoa. open right now. We could make this happen, Tim. Please. Uh, that, that's okay. We don't want that. Although that would be appropriate for this particular bracket. We're going to move right on to Carmella. <laughs> So I know who both of these uh, gentlemen are, but unfortunately I've never read any of their stuff. Um, I, I, the concept for Canticle for Leibowitz looks really interesting. And I actually have put it on my to be read uh, since I received this bracket. Um, And I think that's probably the one that I will end up reading among the two of them first. Uh, So I'm going to, to vote for Mr. Miller, Uh, not just because he's also, uh, home team he's from florida so <laughs> you gotta have better reasons to vote for people than that carmela seriously take this uh, yeah i know take this with the gravitas it deserves <laughs> all right so we have a one one to one tie as we head to jeff yeah honestly i read canical for Leibowitz uh probably about a year ago and loved it uh somehow still holds up despite the fact that it was written during the height of the atomic panic back in the 60s also, the boldness of making Texarkana the main city in any particular civilization that springs up after a nuclear winter. Impressive, honestly. I would not think of Texarkana as being the site of a potential metropolis. So good job with that, Walter Miller. Uh, you get my vote for that alone. And it's two to one in favor of Walter Miller. Brian, what do you got to say? Well, um, unfortunately, I have also not read anything by either of these authors. I was familiar with Canticle, Canticle for Leibowitz. Uh, I was not familiar 
with anything from Kim Stanley Robinson, unfortunately. Um, that said, I am a sucker for a good post-apocalyptic story. Uh, it's one of my favorite genres. And Canical for Leibowitz is also on my to-read uh, to list. Uh, so with no other reason to vote for it, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Walter Miller. And Walter Miller is moving on to the next round, but we want to hear from Stephen. Stephen, did we get this right? Yeah, you did. Um, I'm glad to hear so many people are going to be reading The Canticle for Leibowitz. I think you'll really enjoy it because it's basically um, the Wheel of Time series, but smart and doesn't go on forever. So I think a lot of you are in for a treat there. Uh, yeah, Walter Miller gets my vote. Um, sorry, I'm going to apologize him to him now because, um, you know, he's up next. <laughs> right. Uh, Walter Miller gets a four to one victory and it doesn't get a chance to rest as it heads on to take on the number one seed in the bracket, Isaac Asimov. We're going to start here down in Florida with Carmella. Poor Brian. He's still getting sucker punched about Robert Jordan even now. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, I mean, going up against Isaac Asimov for anyone who's going to be playing in here is going to be hard. Um, my vote is going to be for Isaac Asimov. Um, just, just the influence alone that he has on the genre. Um, and still there, uh, quite a bit of it still holds up. Um, and I, I just enjoy robots and, and all sorts of stuff. To me, that's, you know, quintessential sci-fi. So Asimov is going to have my vote here. And Asimov jumps out to a one nothing lead. Jeff, what do you got? Yeah, Asimov's just a classic. I mean, Walter Miller has the one book, and it's a great book, but Asimov has had so much of an influence on so many of the tropes that we consider as part of science fiction that you can't not vote for him here. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how he holds up against whoever wins the 8-9 matchup, because who? But for now, yeah, Isaac Asimov obviously deserves to move on. And Asimov jumps out to that 2 nothing lead. He's one vote away from moving on, as we want to hear from Brian. So, as I'm off to a good start here, Ew. Uh, um, you got 60 uh, seconds and you wasted three of them on that. <laughs> yes, I did. So just this is this is the screenwriter for that really bad Will Will uh, Smith movie, right? The the iRobot thing. No, I'm kidding. Asimov is a is a freaking legend. Uh, Walter Miller, you had your moment in the sun. It's gone. It's Asimov. It is Asimov with the three votes it needs to move on, but we still want to hear from Steven. Yeah, there's no reason to even bother taking our votes here. It's, it's going to be Asimov. I mean, how important is he to science fiction? He's the man that introduced the word robotics to the English language. It's, you know, you don't get more foundational than that. Isaac Asimov all the way. Steven working in a little foundation pun. Jeff, is this, uh, Jay, is this a clean sweep? I I hesitate only because I think R.A. Salvatore definitely deserved better uh, <laughs> in the previous bracket. And for that reason and that reason alone, I almost want to spoil this. But uh, here's 
here's the thing. Uh, Walter M. Miller sounds like he's going to sell me furniture. Uh, Isaac Asimov is Isaac fucking Asimov. Do we need the rest of this time? It's it's Asimov. And it is Asimov with the 5-0 sweep. Hey, trivia lovers. Want to get the pub trivia experience in an interactive way? Check out Liquid Courage Entertainment. With a wide range of offerings online, LK has you covered. Streaming a wide variety of trivia games on Twitch with one-of-a-kind formats like Tringo, Guestimate, Mega Sheep, and more. Or check out the World Trivia Federation. With 36 hours to answer each quiz and no obligation, the WTF is the perfect solution to scratch that trivia itch on your own time. Come see us at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage or check out patreon.com slash liquid courage to join the WTF for as little as $2 a month. That's liquid courage with a K. Innovative. Interactive. Intoxicating. Let's find out who he's going to be facing. Is it going to be the eighth seed of Neil Stevenson or the ninth seed of Kurt Vonnegut? This one is starting off with Jeff. My dear friend, Neil Stevenson. I really do enjoy your books. They're intricately imagined, super interesting. It really seems like you've done a lot of the scientific research, which I absolutely appreciate. But my man. Can you please go a page, all I'm asking, a single page without starting a sentence with the word for? (laughs) Just try it. Try it. You'll go one page. Maybe you'll go two. Maybe then you'll go three. I I mock because I love. I, I enjoy Neil Stevenson's writing. He's incredibly imaginative and interesting. But man, that that little tick just annoys the shit out of me. Uh, with Vonnegut, I read Vonnegut and I am constantly enjoying every single sentence, every single phrase. Even though sentences are often four or five words long, the man does not spare a word. It shows and... The writing quality is spectacular, and the imagination is still there. Vonnegut is far more foundationally a part of my science fiction fandom than Stevenson, honestly, and so I kind of have to vote Vonnegut here, but it's a tough decision, and I'm not going to begrudge my panelists either way, so I'm really kind of interested to see how this goes. For Vonnegut, Jeff casts his vote. We want to hear from Brian. <laughs> okay. Um, this was an interesting one for me, but it actually wasn't a hard choice. Um, I, much as it pains me to admit it, I have not yet read anything by Kurt Vonnegut. I know. I need to. I know I need to. But... It's it's one of those that, okay, I know everybody talks about how amazing Kurt Vonnegut is. I have read Neil Stevenson. Or I should say, I tried to read Neil Stevenson. I could not get through Cryptonomicon. I, I, I wanted to like this book. And it just could, I, I couldn't. It, it, I, it, I don't, I can't say what it was that it just, he went a little too esoteric too often for me. 
And he would go, he, he would pull in stuff from places. And I'm like, okay, I legitimately would have to pause a couple times a page to go look up what the hell he was talking about. Um, if you are very, very into science, Stevenson is a, is a great call, but if you're a little more casual, it's a tough read. Um, for that reason, Kurt Vonnegut all the way. And Kurt Vonnegut picks up a second vote. Steven, what do you got to say about this one? Uh, yeah, this one isn't even very close for me. I'm not a huge cyberpunk person anyway, so I probably wouldn't be going with Stevenson, but Vonnegut is just one of those authors that understands his medium stronger than maybe anyone else on this list. I mean, uh, just look at the structure for Slaughterhouse Five. I know it's his most famous work, but you know, it's a book about a man that has basically post-traumatic stress, and so the way he sees the world and lives the world is someone who's come unstuck in time. That's how a book starts. Billy Pilgrim's come unstuck in time. And so the very fabric of that book is written out of order purposely, going through these different uh, time dimensions. And and it, you are able to experience that book as Billy Pilgrim experiences it. And even if you've, you know, moving beyond Slaughterhouse-Five to, like, Cat's Cradle, it, it, there are such smart, deep concepts handled in such a brilliant way by Vonnegut. Um I don't want to join a grand balloon here, so I'm just going to go ahead and vote for him and hope he gets the sweet. Vonnegut. <laughs> and Vonnegut picks up that pivotal third vote. Jay, did they get this right? I, I love being irrelevant on this uh, at this point because it's 3 nothing already, and I don't have super strong opinions about uh, Neil Stevenson, to be completely honest with everybody. I am more familiar culturally with the work and the legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. He seems like the one I would uh, rather have a beer with. Uh, so for no other reason than it doesn't matter. And I could name a couple works by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, if Jeopardy ever called and asked me to, uh, I'm casting my vote for Kurt. And as we all know, the most important uh, reason to cast your vote is it because you'd like to have a beer with them. Kurt Vonnegut gets a fourth vote and we bring it to Carmela to wrap this up. Um, so I enjoy cyberpunk very much. Um, Snow Crash is definitely, you know, a pillar in that part of the genre. Um, Vonnegut is just so endlessly readable, though. I mean, uh, I, I think I read Cat's Cradle in like a day and a half. It's just, they're just so readable. Um, and of course, you know, Breakfast of Champions uh, is also very good. So even if you don't go to like his most well-known other things in his in his list are, are, are very good. This is going to be a sweep. It's going to be Kurt Vonnegut. And Kurt Vonnegut picks up our second sweep in a row. He gets to go on to face Isaac Asimov in our next episode. But we are moving right along. The number five seed, Ray Bradbury, versus the number 12 seed. I hope I'm pronouncing this somewhat close to correct. Uh, Xi Jin Liu. Uh, we start this one off with Brian. Um, Xi Jin Liu. Um, interesting. I, I, I had never heard of this person before, uh, but he has won Hugo Award. Uh, China has their own version of a sci-fi award called the Galaxy Award. He's won that one nine times. 
Um, I am curious. I'm interested in reading some of the English translations of his works, but he is an unknown quantity for me. Uh, Ray Bradbury is most definitely not an unknown quantity for me. Um, Had I a little more exposure to him, I might have a harder choice, but uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, another one of our legendary sci-fi authors from way, way back. Uh, Ray Bradbury gets the vote for me. Ray Bradbury gets the vote for Brian. Stephen, what say you? Yeah, so um, I tried to get into Mr. Lou's work, and I have to say, I think, it's going through a translator, obviously, but I think he's a very good author that's writing to an audience I am not a part of. Uh, he's very clearly doing what science fiction is supposed to do. It's giving that level of removal so he can talk about things that are going on around him. And I'm actually surprised he's so celebrated in China because of it. But, you know, sometimes governments miss the point when it comes to art. So maybe that's what's happening there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that being said, like, like if he was going up against an average run-of-the-mill author that I didn't really care about, I think I might be able to cast my vote to him. Because objectively, I can see what he's doing, and I think he's doing it well. Um, but sometimes, you know, you just have to acknowledge it's a pleasure to burn. So, and the fact that I can quote that off the top of my head, it was a pleasure to burn as the first known <laughs> for Fahrenheit 451, kind of proves mm-hmm. what it what an impact Ray Bradbury has and how important he is to me as a writer. So, um. Why I probably will someday finish Mr. Lou's book. Uh, I'm going to go with Ray Bradbury here. And Ray Bradbury has Mr. Lou against the ropes. Jay, will he close the door? I am not the target audience uh, in some ways for, for the work of uh, Xi Jinping Lu. And that's uh, because, you know, I, like everybody else here, comes from a very Western centric uh, literary history and experience. And I think uh, much to uh, Mr. Liu's detriment in this case, that's going to be a factor against him, generally speaking. Uh, His exposure to a wider uh, audience in the English language, not just in the Western world, but in the English language, is an exposure that hasn't really reached a point where I think the lay uh, sci-fi fan is super familiar with his works. Um, I do want to take my time and, and, and speak about how we should probably have a wider uh, view as we explore this bracket further. Uh, I, I think it's really unfortunate that uh, he's not going to advance uh, because yes, my vote will be for Ray Bradbury. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 was one of the uh, most instrumental uh, of the great works uh, that I read like for school in, uh, in middle school. Uh, and it had an impact on me that still exists to this day, but I do want to sing the praises and make sure more people are aware of, uh, the, the canon of sci-fi and fantasy that exists outside, uh, the, the Western kind of umbrella that we're all used to it being. And as somebody who, for the first time, watched everything everywhere all at once last night. I think I find myself agreeing with you. Uh, Ray Bradbury picks up his third vote. Carmela, is this the right answer? 
<sighs> it's a complicated answer. Um, because I I've actually started reading the Three Body Problem, and I enjoy it very much. Uh, the translator for the Three Body Problem for uh, all of the um Remembrance trilogy is a another author named Ken Liu. Uh, they don't seem to be related. Uh. But Ken is also a writer in his own right and actually has written one of my favorite uh, short stories called The Paper Menagerie. So just that whole situation is is a winner for me. Um, so the fact that uh, Xi Xin Liu was able to break into kind of that super like ironclad Western sci-fi kind of sphere, um, you know, should be lauded and should be um, should be noted. And if he was going up against anybody else other than Ray Bradbury, um, I think it would be an easier time for him. Um, Ray Bradbury is just so influential. Um, I love Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's an amazing story. Um, and so I do think in this particular regard, Ray Bradbury is the right answer. However, I would not uh, discount Mr. Liu's works at all. And discount them, we won't. However, Ray Bradbury is winning this one for nothing. Jeff, we still want to hear your opinion. What do you got? I think it's interesting that we've gotten four votes into this and no one's mentioned the Martian Chronicles yet, which is kind of my foundational Bradbury. Uh, anyway, just throwing that out there. I actually just finished the uh, Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy. Uh like maybe two, three weeks ago. Uh, it gets real trippy toward the end, guys. Real weird. Uh, I, th I think he kind of writes himself into a corner a little bit. But one of the reasons I put these two guys together is because they both have very dark views of humanity. Very uh, bleak visions of either the future or of the universe or whatever. And I think it's interesting to kind of compare the two because of that, that both Bradbury and Lou are really interested in just digging into the darkness of the human soul. And I kind of am, you know, as a generally optimistic person, that little turns me off a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I read The Dark Forest and was kind of like, really, this is how you imagine the universe being? I'm not going to ruin it for you guys since y'all haven't gotten to that point yet, but wow, this is bleak. At the same time, it's really imaginative and really well thought out. Uh, Bradbury's bleakness is obviously a little bit more based in what he had seen historically and what he had uh, been through, whether it was kind of the genocide of native Americans that comes up in the Martian Chronicles or some of the, the, the fascism and consumerism that comes up in Fahrenheit 451. I think that, you know, if this were any other score other than four nil, I'd probably vote for Bradbury because I'm a little bit more attracted to that more evidence-based darkness than, you know, lose more speculative darkness but I think Lou doesn't deserve to be swept. So I'm going to give my vote to him just as a punt. But, uh, you know, both these guys are great authors. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think this deserves to be a sweep. So I'm going to vote for Lou. All right. It is a 4-1 victory for Ray Bradbury over Xi Jinping Lou. Uh, we are moving right along 
to our uh, hold on, Tim, just to check. Are we moving right along? Yeah, Chris yeah, would yeah. move us right along. And I just want to make sure that we're on the same pace. So just uh, if you could take us back and let us know that we're moving right along, that would be great. We're moving right along. Uh, uh, yeah. To the four versus 13 matchup, the number four seed HP Lovecraft taking on the number 13 NK Jemison. Uh, sorry, NK Jemison. And we are starting this one off down with Steven. I don't want to lead this one off um, because I have very conflicted feelings about HP Lovecraft. Um, there are issues there. Uh, one, he cannot write dialogue to save his fucking life. He's terrible at dialogue. Uh, number two, he's just a horrible racist. Uh, I mean, I love one of my favorite short stories is the rats or, or just rats. But like, for some reason, the cat's name is a slur word and it's not thematically connected or anything. He just thought the slur word was funny, I guess. Um, that being said it's I, I i guess i'm not as offended by him as i was like uh you know the mean british lady with the wizard kids uh whose name i do not speak because uh he's dead he's done me that courtesy that i don't have to worry about him continuing to spread hate other than through his works and fortunately his works aren't very popular to elementary school children so i think by the time most people encounter lovecraft these days they have hopefully have the maturity to sort of filter out weird things like the cat's name. Um, and H.P. Lovecraft, you know, he's in the foundational for a reason because he really invented that supernatural psychological horror on that cosmic level. Uh, so, uh, this would be tougher if, if if he was going up against somebody that I really admired. I probably wouldn't vote for him at this point, but I, the hundred thousand kingdoms was just not my jam. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Hat. I'm gonna go with Lovecraft. Lovecraft getting a reluctant first vote. Jay, do you agree? I have opinions. Is that like agreeing? I knew you would. <laughs> Um, so admittedly going into, uh, boozy bracketology, I wasn't familiar with NK Jemison except for having maybe stumbled across the name out of context at some point, uh, in like my trivia writing research, uh, kind of thing. Um, in refreshing myself for this episode, uh, I gotta say, I think I would be a fairly big fan. I am a huge fan of representation in spaces that historically have not had that representation. Uh, N.K. Jemison is uh, a woman, uh, as far as I can tell. I'm going off an image and a name, um, but uh, more notably, is a woman of color, and you just you rarely think about that in the context of science fiction and fantasy because it is so predominantly a cis white dude, uh, Western centric space, as I alluded to with the Cijin Lu conversation a couple of minutes ago. Um, so I, she is an author. She is a current author that I want to, uh, learn more about and expose myself to her uh, writing. Um, and H.P. Lovecraft once wrote a poem uh, on the creation of N-words. So he cannot, will not, must not, and should not get my vote, especially uh, against an author of color. Uh, my vote is enthusiastically going for N.K. Jemison. 
And in the exact opposite of how Stephen cast his vote, Jay casts a vote for N.K. Jemison. Carmela, what do you have to say? So, uh, for the same reason of uh, that, that cat also shows up at Reanimator. So <laughs> he's used that cat more than once. Um, I enjoy the Cthulhu mythos. However, there are authors that just do it better now. Peter Klein says it better. And Kay Jemison also does it better. She does it in The City We Became, which is one of the best books I've read in the last five years. Um, I, I adore N.K. Jemison's writing. She's a great world builder. She did have an incorrect opinion on the Mass Effect 3 ending, but I will forgive her for that. Um, and the fact that s- someone who is not only a woman, but a black woman, does the Cthulhu mythos better than H.P. Lovecraft would send him spitting in his grave. And I think that's fantastic. I am enthusiastically voting for N.K. Jemison because I love her. And N.K. Jemison jumps out, or takes a two to one lead. And we are headed to Jeff. So there is a collection of science fiction short stories called A People's Future of the United States. Obviously, a send-up of Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. Uh, It is a sci-fi collection from largely either women or authors of color or both. N.K. Jemison's contribution to that is a highly entertaining story about surveillance dragons hired by wealthy white people to patrol poor communities and communities of color that gets lured away by tasty food, especially spicy collard greens. This is like something that's almost straight out of Terry Pratchett, but... I love it. I absolutely love the idea. And then I, 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 I pick up the fifth season and I'm, I'm just working my way through the stillness trilogy right now. And here's someone who is capable of this broadly imaginative world and creating these huge epics that span different characters that maybe are the same character, maybe different. It's, it's really fun uh, and capable of really imagining all of the details of how these worlds would play out and still capable of this kind of the fun, goofy satire that Pratchett does. That's versatility there that you don't come across every day. (laughs) Right. I think that, uh, you know, Lovecraft obviously is foundational, but at the end of the day, do I really want to read another short story that is basically just a science fictionalization of how black people are corrupting the white race? No, I really don't. But I really do want to read basically everything that N.K. Jemison's ever wrote now. So she gets my vote. And... I am really excited to see what she does next. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a 13-4 upset. N.K. Jemison has secured her third vote, but that doesn't mean we don't care what Brian has to say. So what do you have to say, Brian? So I have on my shelf the collected works of H.P. Lovecraft because 
he is one of those foundational authors. Uh, the Eldritch horror genre is pretty much that's what he made for the most part. Uh, he was a significant influence to Stephen King and many other authors, including N.K. Jemison. He was a product of his time. I'm not excusing him, but yes, he was a raging racist. Um, and I kind of, I, at, at first glance, I'm going, this is going to be a tough decision for me to make. Uh, I mean, Lovecraft, I, I, yeah, there was some science fiction involved, but I would have classified him more horror than sci-fi. Um, and then I read up on N.K. Jemison and discovered that uh, she lives less than an hour from my house. She's from Iowa City, Iowa. And I got a vote for my homegirl. <laughs> oh, you can't just vote for somebody because they're from near you, Brian. <laughs> Says uh, the woman who and, did it. But, but also. It's no homers club, all right? <laughs> also, yes, she is a woman of color, science fiction author, and fuck yes, I want to support this. N.K. Jemison gets the vote. Deservedly so. Well, this panel has sent H.P. Lovecraft back to Relaya. Uh, as <laughs> Thank you all for making we... me the racist. <laughs> <laughs> Just the apologist. No, no, no. You're fine. Uh, uh, hey, no I, worries, buddy. It, it could be worse. Listen to the last episode. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait <laughs> to true. hear that one because I've I've seen how that bracket has played out. Uh, our our next matchup is. The number six seed of Jules Verne versus Michael Creighton, the number 11 seed. And I can't wait to see how this and the next couple matchups play out. We are starting this one with Jay back at the top of the order. Yeah, this this portion of the bracket, it does not come particularly easy as I look ahead. Um, I, I was born in 1981. Uh, I was, I think, 12, maybe 13 years old when Jurassic Park hit the theaters. It kind of revitalized the concept of a summer blockbuster. Uh, it was such an important film to me growing up that I learned how to play the uh, the, the, the John Williams theme uh, on a badly out of tune electronic Casio keyboard so I could never duplicate it anywhere else. Um, I, it got me to read the novel, which I read and reread. Uh, it helped kind of spark my love of math because of all the introductions of chaos theory and everything. Uh, I later then went to read the Andromeda strain. I have read uh, the terminal man. I uh, watched Congo. I have not read it. Um, Rising sun, a bunch of his works that, that really kind of were in the zeitgeist in Hollywood in the nineties and, and early two thousands. Uh, I, I stand me a Michael Crichton. He's not Jules Verne. Jules Verne gets my vote. Jules Verne does get her vote. And all I can think about when Jay talks about playing the uh, Casio keyboard with the Jurassic Park theme is a vine my wife used to send me all the time of. <laughs> all I can think of is a vine is a statement I hope dies with this podcast. It was like a scene from Jurassic Park and it panned to the dinosaurs and all you hear is a really off-key harmonica playing. 
<laughs> and I'd still die laughing hearing about that. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Jules Fern picks up the first vote, Carmella. Oh my god, it's a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jules Verne, I get it. Um, there's still quite a bit of Jules Verne that is, I don't think, holds up particularly well. Um, he wasn't really writing. I mean, he's, he wasn't a speculative guy, but a lot of people put him in a speculative kind of genre, but that's just not who he was. Um, Michael Crichton, I've read a lot of Michael Crichton. Uh, I've read you know the Jurassic Park books. I've read Sphere. I've read Congo. Um, I mean, the guy could write a story 100% and they were enjoyable. He was also a climate change denier, um, but he's dead. So we can separate the art from the artist here. Um, and he produced ER. So, I mean, Crichton's he does. Dead. Yeah. Michael Crichton's been dead for over 10 years. Yeah. About um, 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did not know that. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy if I've if I'm if I've got a Jules Fern story in front of me or a Michael Crichton story, I'm gonna pick up that Michael Crichton story ten times out of ten. Um so I'm gonna vote for Crichton here. And today I learned that Michael Crichton died in two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Tim didn't kill somebody. This is <laughs> usually usually folks, Tim knows about the deaths of any particular celebrity before that particular celebrity knows. <laughs> and I apologize just to clarify, Carmel, your vote was for who again? Crichton. Crichton. All right. So we are moving on with a one-to-one tie. Jeff, break this tie for us. Man, uh, pulp is an interesting subgenre within science fiction because it's where a lot of science fiction comes from, right? That science fiction kind of grew out of a lot of the 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 pulp stuff that Verne pioneered in some ways and that Crichton pursued into the 70s and 80s and 90s in, in a lot of ways that the kind of stories that Michael Crichton wrote those sorts of heavily plot driven cliffhanger chapter endings sort of stories owe a lot to the pulp that Jules Verne and his cohort wrote. I think I have to decide in kind of the same way that Carmela decided in if one of these authors books is sitting in front of me, which one am I picking up? But I'm picking up the other one. I'm picking up Jules Verne. So my vote goes for Vern. Jeff breaks the one-one tie in favor of Jules Vern. Brian, what's your opinion? Oh dear. Well, this could turn out really interesting. Then, um, I, as a young kid, I enjoyed the hell out of reading some Jules Vern. Um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I, I know I read Journey to the Center of the Earth at least half a dozen times. Um, and he was one of those early ones. I remember watching the, the Disney 20,000 Leagues movie. Um, but I'm with Mark Carmella in that I think, I, I think I've read almost all of Michael Crichton's fictional works. There's the Jurassic Park books. 
there's Sphere, there's Congo. Uh, almost all of his stuff that got turned into movies, aside from Jurassic Park, the movies were not very good. The, the books were way better. Um, Timeline and Dramatist Train, The Great Train Robbery was particularly good. And one that doesn't get enough love is Eaters of the Dead, which was a retelling of the Beowulf story, which was turned into the magnificent movie called 13th Warrior. God, I love that movie. Um, Jules Verne was one of those seminal sci-fi authors. But man, I could, when I picked up a, a Michael Crichton book, I couldn't put it down. I read Lost World in, in 24 hours. Um, yeah, if, if I'm reading one of these, it's going to be Crichton. Crichton gets my vote. And Crichton pulls even with Jules Verne. It's two to two. And as a reminder, when we have a two to two tie, we have the ability to launch what we call here at Boozy Bracketology a buzzer beater. So if anybody wants to lodge a 30 second final plea before Stephen weighs in, speak now. You get one per round or forever hold your peace. Stephen, looks like it's all up to you. Who's going to take this one home? Well, first, as a dedicated fan of the Dead Authors podcast, as far as Jules Verne goes, I have to admit, giant squid, barely silence, hardly fiction. Um, but other than that, which one of these is more important? Here's the thing. When you read a Michael Crichton book, what he does is he picks up a very interesting fringe science subject. And he gets you really excited about it. You read through it. And then you go and like, wow, that was really amazing. I want to look up more about this. And then you start to read more and you go, Oh, he, he got that wrong. No, he got that wrong. Too. Oh, he really got that. But he's just making shit up. He's got really, really bad science in his science fiction. Jules Verne doesn't have that problem, largely because he's not really writing that much science fiction. He's writing fantasy stories that he pretends is science fiction because he's still busy inventing the genre. To be fair, he's making things up as he goes in a way that no one else is. Um... But which one of these are better books? Like, if I had to pick up, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Congo again, I know Congo's really stupid, and that's not how gorillas or lasers or diamonds or humans work. But I'm going to read the hell out of Congo again, because it's just more enjoyable. I'm going to give my vote to Crichton. And Crichton pulls up, pulls the upset over Jules Verne. The sixth seat goes down, so after a couple of clean sweeps, we've had a couple of upsets in a row will that continue as we move to the third three seed margaret atwood versus the 14 seed of andy weir and this one we're kicking off with carmella this one is so hard <laughs> i love both of these authors um Margaret Atwood, uh, they were doing this retelling of different Shakespeare works, um, and she wrote the one for The Tempest called Hagseed, and it was amazing. Um, however, I reread The Martian every year. I reread it every year since it's come out. It's got such joy. It's got good science in it. Artemis was okay. Uh, I haven't gotten to Hail Project Mary, but Waco loved it. I bought it for him, and he like pounded through it in like a weekend. Um 
there's just so much joy in Andy Weir's books. Um, I mean, Margaret Atwood, her most famous thing is The Handmaiden's Tale, uh, which is one based in history and two definitely based in the present. Um, and it, I, I need a little bit more escapism. And as much as it pains me because I love Margaret Atwood, I'm going to vote for Andy Weir here. And Andy Weir, the underdog, picks up the first vote as we head out to hear from Jeff. I am staring daggers at you right now, Carmel. I know. It, this one was so hard. I like agonized over looking at this earlier today. I'm All like, right, fuck. <laughs> Andy Weir's got a couple of good books. I'll grant him that. Margaret Atwood is the greatest living English language writer. I agree. Greatest living science fiction. I, I don't care. Greatest living English language writer. Margaret Atwood could write a fucking grocery list and I would read it 17 times. Okay. Margaret Atwood has this unbelievable ability to take even the most banal interaction and turn it into something that is transcendently beautiful and that you're on the edge of your seat at reading about the blind assassin is my favorite book ever. There are, it's a testament to how talented Atwood is that she wrote an entire trilogy tearing a new one to the pharmaceutical industry. And I, as a pharmaceutical scientist, <laughs> ate it up like crazy it, and loved it. It was great. The Mad Adam trilogy is amazing. Year of the Flood is one of the best science fiction books ever written. How is this even close? <laughs> How is this even vaguely close? How is this not anything more than a six nothing sweep? <laughs> Margaret Atwood all the way. Come on, people. So to be clear, you voted for Andy Weir. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm getting a mixed signal here. Could you run that back? <laughs> and I, I agree with everything that Jeff said. I just, right now, at this point in my life, I need a little bit more joy in my life. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, science... I read The Heart Goes Last. It's a fun-as-hell book. <laughs> at a certain point, you wonder whether Margaret Atwood could be included in science fiction. Uh Brian, break this one-one tie for us. Okay, excuse me while I write down the heart goes last. I go, okay, I, I'm I'm keeping it a running tally of all the shit that I need to read. Um, Jeff, I I apologize, man, because I have not read anything by Margaret Atwood yet. Yet. Um somehow that one I it I don't know. I don't know how how it got missed. But I have not. Um, I have read... I've read The Martian at least half a dozen times. The science holds up. The guy did his homework. And it is one of the most gripping and enjoyable and uplifting stories I have read in the last decade because the guy is utterly screwed, except he doesn't give up and he keeps thinking about it and he keeps fighting. 
And there is absolutely something to be said for this. Just because he kept, he, he never gave up. <sighs> Jeff, I'm sorry. I, I know this hurts, but my, my vote was an immediate Andy Weir. I will never forgive either of you for this. <laughs> or, you'll forgive even me. Jay. You'll forgive me. I, I at least struggled with it. <laughs> and Andy Weir is on the verge of our third straight upset, despite Jeff's best efforts. Steven, is this the end of Margaret Atwood? Well, I've got a, a real conundrum here now uh, because one of my <laughs> wife's favorite authors is anywhere, and I've got to explain a $500 Lego purchase to her soon. So if I have to do that and vote her favorite author off, it's going to be a rough night. Um... <laughs> so, uh, uh, so I'm going to have to rethink my vote real quick. Um <laughs> I, I do actually. I I enjoy anywhere a lot too. Uh, it's it's there is one part of it of uh, the Martian that really bums me is that it specifically says that like he's eating the big potatoes and replanting the little ones, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. You want to plant the big ones, so genetically you're growing larger potatoes. And as a uh, botanist, he should know that. Um, that really kind of gets to me. But other than that, it is probably scientifically perfect. Uh, uh, Desperate times. <laughs> Desperate times. Um, see, I've got you guys on one screen and Lego.com on the other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, here's what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and just buy the Indiana Jones set, and I'm going to go ahead and cast the right, correct vote for Margaret Atwood. <laughs> well, Stephen, I wouldn't pull that trigger just yet because you haven't sent Andy Weir home. Andy Weir is now in a 2-2 tie with Margaret Atwood. Jay is going to break this tie, I believe. Yes, Jay is going to break this tie, but it is an opportunity to launch a buzzer beater. Does anybody want to do so? Uh, Jay, are you at all convincible here? Because yes, I will launch a fucking oh, buzzer beater. Oh, I can beater. always be bought. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you require to be bought? What do you require to vote for someone who's prose is so fucking beautiful that you could read literally anything that she writes in the lego set will have to be worth at least five hundred and one dollars <laughs> and you don't know which way i'm gonna go here God damn it God two damn rivendell it. sets <laughs> two rivendell sets ah two rivendells ah 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 <laughs> oh boy <laughs> All right, we all know what Jeff's opinion is, so Jay... Yeah, I, I don't think I need to belabor it any further. <laughs> Jay, break this tie for us. Jeff and Steven, I am so sorry. You're probably objectively, as much as literary uh, criticism can be objective, uh, ob objectively correct in acknowledging that in any other universe... In any other bracket combination and in any other orientation of guest panelists that Margaret Atwood absolutely deserves to move on uh, in this bracket. She is 
a living legend of literature, uh, as Jeff has pointed out. The Handmaid's Tale is resurging in its popularity uh, due to to the recent uh, TV adaptation, and I am desperate to figure out how to pirate uh, whatever it is on so I can start watching that because I think I will absolutely love it. Uh, I dig me uh, a dystopia. Um, but here's here's the problem. I politicked heavily to get Andy Weir in this conversation. Uh, my vote has to go there and I'll tell you why. The Martian is amazing and it's his second best book so far. We will at length talk about Project Hail Mary in the next bracket, which Andy Weir will meet me in because that's my boy. I will never forgive any of you for this. Do you understand? I love you, Jeffrey. Like I've, I, I've been offended by the uh, vote of Steal My Sunshine over Baby Got Back for quite some time now. This is my new y'all are a bunch of assholes shorthand. All right. Yeah, go tell y'all are a Salvatore. bunch of assholes that just cost me a Rivendale for no goddamn reason. <laughs> I have two words for you, Robert Jordan, <laughs> Robert Aspirin. Let's continue to <laughs> Roberts that yeah, were mad hey, didn't get right, voted in. All right, all right. I, Robert Aspirin's a, a good one. Robert I just Jordan. want to point out that. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeff. You put this bracket together. Yes. And, uh, and, and yeah. for the most part, you seeded them however mm -hmm. the hell you wanted to. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Jeff you knew could, going in, I wasn't viable on the Andy Weir thing, too. And that's the sad you, part. You could have put Margaret Atwood anywhere else in the bracket <laughs> and she would have won 100 yeah, like four people we noped up i really just wanted to visit you guys put her up against yeah. xi jin lu done deal <laughs> so we have two more matchups left to go in this quadrant we are start we are jumping into the seven seed Arthur C. Clarke against the 10 seed George Orwell. And I'm very interested to see how this plays out. So Jeff, get us started. I'm just gonna say Orwell, but fuck you all. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Y'all are all jerks, and I'm just gonna vote however I want. Orwell. Uh, we have broken Jeff's spirit as he votes for George Orwell. One down Brian. Go. Brian, go ahead. Um, all right, this is legitimately the hardest pick of this particular bracket for me. I love both of these authors for very different reasons. Um, 2001, God, that was an epic. Uh, Hammer of God, Rendezvous with, with Rama. Uh, but then you've got George Orwell with 1984 and Animal Farm. These... These are two pillars of the of the genre. Um, open the pod bay doors. I, I'm afraid I can't do that. Or the clock struck thirteen. Um, Now, I now I still got to go. I I, I got to go. Nineteen eighty four. I got to go. George Orwell, because I nineteen eighty four was just so 
formative for me anyway. Um, the, the idea of big brother is always watching and there's just so much going on there that, that just resonated with me when I read it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm giving mine to Orwell too. Orwell is on the verge of moving on as we want to hear from Steven. So I have to be uh, very careful here that I don't confuse 2001, the book, with with the final version of the movie as created by Kubrick, which is two-thirds of an amazing movie and one-third boring laser light show as if I am stuck in a observatory in the late 1980s. Um, <laughs> in a planetarium? Uh, the, yeah, the Planet Arium. I, I fucking hate that movie. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> I don't care if I'm the last same man in an insane world. Um, but when you read the book, you don't have to see the laser light. That was Hitchcock, right? That was Hitchcock? I'm sorry. Let me. That was Hitchcock. That's right. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, <sighs> He's well. not even here. Don't <laughs> listen to it. He's got to listen to it to edit it. He's so here in spirit. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a coin toss for me, so I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna keep him alive. I'm gonna go ahead and cast my vote for Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Arthur C. Clarke is down, but not out. Jay, will Orwell close the door, or will Clark keep it alive? Right. I think it was a long, cold day in April, and the clock struck thirteen. That um, sounds about right. Yeah, which is the extent to which I have read 1984. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I'm very familiar with it uh, I, in every way that is literally not reading it. Um, in middle school, I had the choice between 1984 and Brave New World. I chose Brave New World. Never got a back around to 1984. I have, however, uh, read and reread Animal Farm and, and done uh, analyses on those. Orwell is, I, I don't know if anybody's aware of this, but Orwell is like really good at writing y'all he's excellent um but you know who else is really good at writing jay hold on if you... <laughs> all that to say comma jeff comma orwell is really really good at writing genres that i don't strongly associate personally with sci-fi and or fantasy uh he may be one of the greatest dystopian art authors of all time I need more sci-fi in my dystopia before I strongly consider uh, it for inclusion in this bracket based on Fair. what our criteria were. Uh, and Arthur C. Clarke, to, to go back to uh, what I said about Jules Verne, is Jules Verne. Or, well, he's Arthur C. Clarke, but in this case, uh, I'm going to punt it down uh, and I am going to cast my vote for Arthur C. Clarke. And I thought that this region of the bracket might be a tight one. Arthur C. Clarke 2, George Orwell 2. That leaves us open for tiebreakers. Everyone but Jeff has one available if they would like to try to sway Carmela's opinion. Oh, I'd give Jeff his, his buzzer beater back. There was no chance that was going in last one. <laughs> I'm not using anything anymore on you people. You're <laughs> fucking worthless. <laughs> Your opinions are worthless to me. And I made the bracket. <laughs> Hoist it on your own petard there. All right, Carmela. I don't think anybody's going to bail you out on this one. So go ahead and cast your vote. 
I gotta make sure my doors are locked because I think Jeff might just jump in the car and try and get down here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, think I actually Jacksonville is closer than Chicago. Technically. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my saving grace. <laughs> but Chicago's easier to fly to. <laughs> that's true. I mean, we have an international airport here. You could probably get pretty easy. Yeah, they gotta go through Atlanta and fuck. No, nah, well, that sucks. <laughs> It's really only if you fly Delta, you gotta go through Atlanta. But anyway, um, all right. I enjoy both of these authors immensely. Uh, I've read 1984. I've read Animal Farm a bunch. Uh, my favorite quote ever is: two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe, or we are not, and both are equally terrifying." And that is a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> Um, 2001: A Space Odyssey is is amazing. Uh, I <laughs> I reread Meeting with Medusa, uh, where they had super chimps that they shortened to simps, and I think that's hilarious in today's context. It was not the context when he wrote it, but it's still very funny. Um, I enjoy Arthur C. Clarke so much. I enjoy AI more than I enjoy thought crimes because even though right now both of them are exceedingly relevant to today's climate um but i i was walking in here voting for arthur c clark and i'm sorry jeff but that's the way i'm gonna go i'm gonna vote for arthur c clark i mean i'll take that if you take back your vote for andy fucking weird <laughs> i don't think it'll do any good now <laughs> what you have to do jeff is let it go because i learned that last bracket let you go. fucker let it go <laughs> And yeah, I know that pretty well. I have a four-year-old girl. <laughs> this, it, this this side of the bracket is so hard, Jeff. It is so yeah, hard. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I, I'm not not arguing with you on that one. There are going to be a couple of real tough decisions in the next round for sure. But yeah, yeah. I think you're going to get me back next bracket. And it <laughs> looks like the way to get eliminated three two is to just write a playbook for current individuals uh that's how you get eliminated in the first round that's right yeah we have one more match to pick on the, in this quadrant of the bracket we have the two seed philip k dick margaret atwood could have been a two seed mm -hmm. versus harry harrison the 15 seed we are starting this one in iowa with brian all right um harry harrison uh, his probably his best known work is is the series of books about the stainless steel rat. Uh, however, he did write a short story that became Soylent Green. Uh, that that he he wrote the story that that was the basis for the movie. Um, but he's going up against the guy that did do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Blade Runner. Total Recall, Minority Report, The Man in the High Castle, A Scanner Darkly. Um, I, I've got, I've still got him on my shelf right now. Um, Philip K. Dick is one of my favorite science fiction authors and has been uh, since the early 1980s. Uh, this, Harry, sorry, man, you went up against a budsaw. Philip K. Dick gets my vote. 
And Philip K. Dick picks up that first vote. Jay, what do you have to say? Jeff, you got this one right. Philip K. Dick absolutely deserves to be a two seed in this bracket. I don't know that anybody uh, in this set holds a candle by comparison, uh, with the exception of Asimov. Um, well, well, well slotted, well-deserved seed. Uh, Harry Harrison, I'm not incredibly familiar with vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, their work. Uh, going back to what Brian alluded to, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, Soylent Green, but didn't know that that was adapted from a story. And that's, that's a fault on my part, uh, admittedly. But I mean, Philip K. Dick has given us at least Hollywood just a generation and a half, if not two generations of source material to make fantastic, purely sci-fi films. Uh, Brian, you forgot to mention things like uh, Minority Report, uh, the Adjustment Bureau. I did uh, he mentioned Minority Report. Report. Oh, okay, well, it was the Adjustment Bureau then <laughs> that, the you, Bureau. that you Adjustment left Bureau, off. So I did not. Forgive me on that. Uh, but the Adjustment Bureau, if we want to throw that in as well. Um, I, I don't see a universe where Harry Harrison can get a vote over Philip K. Dick here, and my vote is going to follow suit. Philip K. Dick has Harry Harrison against the ropes. I skipped over Stephen, though, so we're jumping right back. Stephen, what do you got to say? Uh, well, the short story that Soylent Green is based upon is called Make Room, Make Room, and I guess I just fucking did, so that's that's the thematic <laughs> at least. Um, uh, <laughs> no, this is this is no question. Uh, there's a reason why we keep making Philip K. Dick short stories and stories into movies, and that's because they're universal and repetitive, and he's, he's you know, he's well, that one writer that kind of writes the same theme every time. What makes humans human? What is unique about humanity? What makes us truly who we are? That's that's what his works are about, and they're still poignant and resonate today. So, yeah, absolutely, Philip K. Dick is my vote. And Philip K. Dick moves on. Carmela, did we get it right? Um, I've I've had a lot of dick in my life. Um, so you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I haven't read much Harry Harris. I did know about the soil and green thing. Uh, and I think that's an amazing story. Um, uh, but I've read so much Philip K. Dick and I, I think it still holds up. Um, uh, you know, we talked about turtle dove, um, in the other side of the bracket bringing speculative fiction. And usually when I think of speculative fiction, I think first and foremost of man in the high castle. Um, and so that that's usually what, triggers it for me um i do think we got this right I, I do think philip k dick does deserve to move forward and that's four votes for philip k dick jeff bring it home yeah i mean the stainless steel rap books are fun as hell but very few authors have had as much of an impact on the way we think about the world and the way we think about ourselves as Philip K. Dick. So yes, this, unlike the Margaret Atwood decision, <laughs> you fucking heathens got it right. <laughs> you <And> love us. <laughs> adore you, Carmel. I adore you. Look, I'm not saying there was a conversation pre uh, recording where Brian Carmela and I realized we won the numbers game. 
<laughs> but I'm not saying half of that conversation didn't happen, right, Brian? <laughs> I believe my exact words were, you know, if we really wanted to, we could get Carmela in on this and steamroll the bracket any way we saw fit. <laughs> but then I didn't bother Carmela because she was in California and she deserves a week off. Damn it. <laughs> Yo no hablo español. <laughs> And that wraps up the foundation quadrant of the sci-fi and fantasy author bracket. That'll bring this episode of Boozy Bracketology to a close, but we still have a lot more coming in this bracket. How did we do? Tell us on Instagram, at Boozy Bracketology on Instagram, at Boozy Brackets on Twitter. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash P-T-E-B-B. Every dollar you donate goes right back to making this a great podcast. But if you can't, we understand. Times are tough. But you can still share and subscribe to this pod and leave us a five-star review. Want to get in on the conversation? Head to ptebb.com slash discord to join our discord channel where we have some fantastic conversation every day. For Boozy Bracketology, I've been Tim. I've been Jay. I've been Carmela. I've been Jeff. I have been Brian. And I have been Stephen. Thank you and have a good night.